Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 30th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Um, and we are going to talk about the coaching situation in Florida, how they handled it. Uh, there are two very different sides on this. Uh, some people are very, very upset about Gallant being fired, and some people believe that the Panthers are doing a process versus results kind of path. And uh, we'll talk all about that, and we will talk Penguins. So let's kick it off. It's very funny looking at the – you know how you said there's definitely like a, 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 a yay and a nay for the decision? If you have a look at who's on what side of the line, it's the same old – the same old, same old. It's the what I would call the old school media who don't like the idea that the game can be put into a spreadsheet and improved. And then you've got the guys who believe in this stuff and, and will defend it. And I think rightfully so. Uh, I saw a couple of graphs on Twitter, and I wish I could remember who it was, but you could see Florida slowly regressing. They were slowly but surely falling off where they felt they should be. And the thing on top of that was was player usage. Player usage was starting to affect those numbers. And why on earth would you wait till game 50 to make a coaching change and the season's done? It's like this team expects to make the playoffs and it was expecting to um, compete for the, the division title. The way they're tracking at the moment, that's not going to happen. No. Um, here's how where I am on it. I think it's totally fine that they they fired Gallant and are going in a different direction. Clearly, they didn't not like. The they did not like something about <coughs> Gallant's process and how he was going about things. Now, they were really good last year. They won the division. They also rode some crazy PDO along the way. They weren't like an overly dominating possession team. That PDO has dropped off this year, and they're not doing as good, and they're still not possession-wise, where I think they could be. So the management group, which did not hire him, is not liking the process. So I see no reason why they can't make a change, and I, I don't know what the um, the uproar is about firing him. Now, could they have done it um, the execution of it better? Yes, I don't think they did a great job of leaving him out on the dock waiting for a cab, that kind of stuff. That was bad. <laughs> um, so that the execution of the firing was pretty, um, I thought, lowbrow. But hockey decision-wise, I, I have no problem with them making a change there. I, it, it's, what sucks for me is that this is going to be um, – uh, a marker in the whole thought process of how this is supposed to work. People are going to use this as a yes, stats work or no, stats don't work. Yeah, that's that, pretty this, much. That is definitely going to happen. Um, it's pretty, as a stats guy myself, it's pretty stupid to lean that heavily on one sample to, to get an answer on what works and what doesn't work. I, you, you know what I mean? But that's what they're going to do. Like, no, I know that's going to happen. But it, even yeah. if it does succeed, it's it's one team that did it. We need to see more teams adopt to this and, and really get a gauge. 
I, I think that the funniest thing for me are all these people saying that Gallant's a great hockey guy and he should never have been fired. I have no problem with these people being angry about the way he was fired and the, and the delivery of how they did it and, and the way they just threw him out of the team. And, and that was just, that was poor. But you can't say that, I mean, look, they, they shifted Dale, Dale Tuller out of the way so they could run it how they wanted to. So the coach was always going to go. It was just a question of at what point could they convince the owner that, look, this guy is, is not using the, the assets we gave him in the way we think they will be, they will maximise their output. And once, I suppose, they could prove that, bang, he was out the door. Yeah, I think a lot of the people critical that's calling him a hockey guy and, and, and all that are, are people that have a personal relationship with him and they have a lot of empathy um, for him being fired. You don't like seeing people you know lose their job no. and stuff like that. That's a natural human feeling. Yep. But, you know, being in a business like that, that's especially cutthroat, being a good hockey guy, well... If I'm going to be completely honest, I don't know too many bad hockey people that I've been around. I can count on one hand how many people I've played with or coached or uh, been around in hockey that I truly hate. <laughs> like Exactly, yeah. There are a lot of good hockey people, or hockey guys, if you want to use that phrase. So that shouldn't be um, part of the evaluation process. Now, if two candidates were tied, sure, go with the quote-unquote hockey guy but you know what i'm saying yep no exactly what you're saying it's just it, it's it does sort of suck that this is going to be a referendum on it immediately because of, of the way the coach the coach firing was was handled it's it's almost like the the way that was done it's it almost creates the argument for those that are against the stats that these guys have no heart. They have no feeling. They're, they're just robots that read spreadsheets, and that's it. And, and that does absolutely nothing to dispel that theory. And it's a load of absolute garbage, but that's the reality of, of how narratives are created. They become hyperbolic, and, and they, they, they become too far one way and, and, and too far far the other. And you can you can make stuff up, and people will just echo chamber it and, and, and get it out there on Twitter, and then it starts to become a fact. Well... Oh, and by the way, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, the Panthers are in the last minute and 20 of their game against the Blackhawks, and it's 1-1. Yager scored, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're out shooting the Blackhawks 34-29 to right now. So at least in game one, that, on the surface, I'm just looking at like the very generic NHL.com slash scores box score thingy here. That's... Um, it's a lot of shots. 34. Not bad. It's process-driven, this change. That's that's the reality of it. They didn't like the way the process was going, and I don't blame them for, for changing it. But it's like when the Penguins swapped Mike Sullivan over. They lost the first four games before they went on their ridiculously good tear. What's to say that it doesn't take this team four or five games to, to work out the, the changes that they want and move forward. Oh, no, Everything's going to get... Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Everything's going to get jumped on so quickly because most of the people that, that publish online that, that have the majority of the, the voice on the traditional sites don't believe in this garbage. Like, don't believe in the advanced stats. So they're going to be 
riding as much as they can to, to, to try and to try and denigrate the decision and, and say that it's a bad one and it's, it's just going to be terrible for hockey. And it's frustrating because if you watch the Oilers and Leafs game tonight, it's so much fun to watch. And they're, the, the Leafs have been built around trying to find players that can control the puck and then Edmonton have kind of been spoon-fed players that can. They've just got to utilise them properly. And it's up and down the ice. Fast skating, high quality chances, good goaltending, and some hits. It's like that's what hockey should be. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh... Pittsburgh had a few good um, back and forth games recently. The Devils, what's going on with the Devils and Pittsburgh going backwards and forwards? <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, surprisingly good. Can't remember and the last the... time I was like, oh, this Devils game was was good, fun. It was fun. I don't think yeah. I ever said it. That might have been the no. first time. But the, the the thing with that is that, like you said, this is an entertainment sport. Yeah, I'd want to see Pittsburgh win, but if they don't win, I'd like to have at least watched a decent game. And the way that they're playing at the moment wouldn't be uh, – the coaching staff wouldn't be happy with it. But as a fan, higher than hockey is fun hockey to watch. Chicago taking a penalty with 20 seconds left. Little, Come on, JJ. Four on, four on three power play in overtime. Yager, right circle, calling it. I'm going to go back. And <laughs> look, he's hosted that franchise for decades. He might as well do it again. I can always go back and edit this if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm too lazy. So. Hopefully that happens. Exactly. Otherwise... Oh, well. No, but back to the Panthers. Um, I think you, we're going to start to see the uh, process-driven, possession-driven thought um, mindset. Yep. And the other thing that's going to be attached with this, if the possession does improve from where it is, their PDO is incredibly bad this year, where it was really good last year. Well, even if you meet in the middle... That's not so. That's not such a bad thing. No, it's in possession and normal PDO. You'll win more than you lose. I think. Yep. Um, injuries have played a, somewhat of a role for them this year. Losing Huberdo for I don't think he's played yet. No, he's not. It's like Jack Eichel came back today and. A three-point game, I think, for Buffalo. So getting getting someone like Huberto back will, will, will help immensely. I believe Jokinen's back and Bugstad just are all in the lineup tonight. I, I will say this. Firing the coach now before they get all of these players back certainly sets up Rowe to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> it's all those guys. Do you know what I mean? Well, if that was part of the thought process too i i would tip my hat to that <laughs> knowing trying to shape the pr getting in front of it but if you're gonna if you're not happy with a guy getting rid of him sooner than later and allowing that person to move on and find other opportunity even though he just signed Thanks. an extension money-wise he's he's making out just fine just exactly. that he's not coaching hockey right now but he's gonna get paid so you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, I suppose. No, that's right. It's it's going to be 
it just sucks for, for me. I think that it's 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 going to be a referendum on on what's happening. It's going to because be, it's one thing, uh, like you said. It's just going to be so many tweets on both sides where you're just like, oh god damn it. <laughs> yep. What the fuck are we doing here? But that's that's what's going to happen. I'll just have to deal. It's yeah. I mean, it's for, for me. I'm I'm happy to see that a team has gone all in and not gone half-assed. And theoretically, when it comes to contract negotiations, this would be the one team that wouldn't or shouldn't get hamstrung by the sentimental contract that's two years too long. Ah, they will do a great job with the vet. Yes, I do think one of the pros that's probably undeniable is the reluctance to spend on older declining players. That would be one of the strengths, I think, that's that's, too debatable. I, I, I can't see, you know, you get there and you take that emotion out of it and you just go... I have a feeling they'll have uh, limits to what somebody does per 60, and that'll be what they're prepared to pay for that. If anyone requests more than that, they'll move on and, and find a cheaper option on the scrap pile because that's what they've done with Marcia Show. So, oh, I can't even say his name Marcia right. Show, right. Thank you very much. That's the one I'm after. I thought and he was good in Mac- Tampa. I, I hope I brought him up on the podcast yeah. a while back. I don't know if yep. I did. But... And then there's, and there's Maglin as well. Like You get there, and I think – one of the tweets I saw that popped out was that uh, I think it was Derek McKenzie's minutes are down. Were, no, we're pushing well, they, up. No, they were pushing up because you know what he is on that team? He's the captain. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? I know. And this, but this, this goes exactly to the point that Roe made in that there was a philosophical difference. Derek McKenzie's minutes were increasing and guys like Marcheseau and, and, and Melgan – their numbers were going backwards for, for minutes played, and you can and when they're on the ice, they're producing shots. So it, it's like it, it's a complete reversal of what what they wanted. They deliberately went out and got defensemen that they think can move the puck. And you know, Gallant has come out and said, "I wanted bigger men to, to con- control the front of the net. Just have the puck. You don't have to worry about your net if you've got the puck." Yeah, Marchessault's having a good year. Yeah, and th- then he starts having his minutes cut back. It's like, well, why? Good on the possession well, front as well. Leads the team in points and, per 60. Good time. And why give McKenzie? Well, I, I don't have an answer to that. But that this is, this is the fundamental argument. This is the process versus the result that people who believe in the advanced stats... Oh, I don't have an answer for it because I, 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 I can't get my mind there. No, but it's 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 one of those things where I think Mark Spector tweeted out, well, Chris Russell's, the, I think the Oilers record is 7-2-1 and one or something with Chris Russell in the lineup. They're the only numbers that matter to me. And it's like, well, that's just a load of fucking bullshit. And that is just a trolling tweet, upon which so many people jumped all over it, as did I, because I'm talking about it right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... I agree. I mean, you can make up all sorts of fucking dumb stats like that. If it's totally results-driven and you just craft whatever you want. You know, you get there and go, how many minutes does Chris Russell play with Connor McDavid? 
how many goals against does he have? And it's like, could they be winning more games if he wasn't on the ice? It's, it's, Chris, Chris Russell's on ice save percentage right now is abnormally high. That's it. He's getting buried, and his goals, um, four percentages are okay right now. Uh, if you look at his on ice save percentage, he's almost um, he's got to be among the leaders. The last time I checked. So when you hear a number like that. How do you go about analyzing what's causing that? Is it literally just Cam Talbot, or is it the fact that the shots that are being taken when Russell's on the ice are on, are in bad shooting positions and Talbot's getting easy saves? Like, you'd have to dive into like well, the, the, the low, thing. medium, here's high some danger things offense. that you can do to break it down. We know that raw Corsi correlates strongly with scoring chances. I think I did an R2 on one of my things, and it was 75% correlation between uh, when you have scoring chances against you versus shot attempts against you. So that's a high correlation, right? Yeah. So if Chris Russell's getting buried in mid-40s possession, and you got a 75% correlation between the scoring chances and that possession, you can assume that he's given up some high-danger chances. Yep, I get that. So, so the question, oh, I get what you mean. Yeah, I see. My point being, I haven't seen a study yet that has tied on a shooting percentage to a specific skill that a player is doing well. I've seen it dispelled the other way. I mean, go look at the <laughs> list. There's no rhyme or reason to the players that are on there. That doesn't yep. pass the smell test. Put it that way. Brandon Sutter used to be one of the leaders in this. And, I mean, do you, am I supposed to sit here and pretend that Brandon Sutter had some special skill that made his goalies better? Yeah, he just allowed to have so many shots that they just saved so many of them. But, you know, but why did they save yes. more of them when he was on the ice? Yeah, I can't no, point I, to I, something he's doing. I mean, come on. Unless the high-danger chances everybody's getting when those two players are on the ice so like, they get three rebound shots all in a row straight into the pad of the goalie, and and that's why they're not that's why they don't get scored on because they're but it's all, you know <laughs> I don't know I'm, I am trying to come up with unlikely reasons I get what you say it's the, and that that's the thing it's like the numbers don't mean anything unless you go and 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 try and find out why they're being what they are and 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 that that high day that high um, save percentage would suggest in, in its simplicity that. It's not Cam Russell, it's the goalie, it's Cam Talbot, who has played very well this year, and he's one of the reasons why the Oilers have had chances to come back in games or to keep leads in games that they've had no right to keep leads in. Yeah, I mean, Chris Russell. Did we get into him over the summer? Not really. Good. <laughs> it's, another, <laughs> it's another one of those arguments analytics first so i guess he kind of fits into the overall gist of this podcast well that's the thing there are there are players and there are teams that are going to be used as this is exactly what this is what it's all about it's either going to be yes advanced that's work or or you guys were completely wrong and it's like trying to say that like you look at the the PDO of the Rangers and you look at the PDO of the Columbus Blue Jackets at the moment, both are being driven by high shooting percentages, but both are also being driven by 
one consistently elite of elite goalies and the other one by an elite goalie that can never stay healthy. So you would expect the Rangers and the Blue Jackets to start losing some games based purely on shooting percentage, not on the goaltending getting worse, unless Bobrovsky gets hurt. Yeah, I try to do my best to temper the PDO um, of a team, like when you got a Henrik Lundqvist. Like, I know the save percentage is going to definitely bump that up a little bit. Yeah. They're also top shooting team in the NHL right now. So, yes, we can safely say the Rangers are on an extreme, even with Lundqvist. But you're right, with Columbus, uh, Bob is... Um, he he's certainly shown in stretches, uh, large stretches, that he he's he's very good. Exactly. So he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. No, he's kind of like your boy Varley. Yeah, and I reckon he's hit that aging curve now because of the injuries. I reckon he's hit it early. Columbus, yeah, Columbus is a top ten shooting team. And, and there's they're nothing seventh to say in, that they're seventh in shooting and save percentage. There's nothing to say that they won't stay there either. By the way, there's always a couple of teams that ride a percentage through the entire year, just like uh, a, a goalie plays a little bit above what you expect for the entire year. I mean, that's what happened with with Calgary um, a couple of years ago, and then also, you know, when Colorado got into the playoffs when everyone thought they wouldn't, it was literally shooting percentage and and, and Varley. So. It, it can certainly hold for the whole year, but you wouldn't want to base your process around that and then go into a playoff series against a team that's not riding those factors. Should like a Panther update? Yes, please. Shootout. Wow. So Chicago must have uh, killed that off. As frustrating as it's going to be, to see this play out, it is going to be fun to see the reaction of everybody play out from this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Corey Crawford continuing. <laughs> Hell of a year. Yeah. Save 38 out of 39. He's saving that team's bacon. They have some massive holes in that roster, and I know he probably won't, but he should go close to winning the Vesna just based on the way he's carrying that team oh, at the he's... moment. He's certainly in that conversation right now. It feels like it's just going to be a fait accompli, though, in regards to who they're going to give it to. Well, the GMs vote on it, and... Um, That's my point. Not to, you know, be rude. I, I think there's a lot of them that struggle with the goaltender evaluations. And, yeah... Obviously, we aren't totally great at analyzing the goalie position yet. Nope. But there are some methods that are better than others, and I don't think a lot of them are using the, the best method available, maybe, is how we'll put it. Yep. Oh, they lost. Shouldn't have fired the coach. <laughs> <laughs> stupid this is what I'm stupid motherfuckers they shouldn't have fired that coach they lost in a shootout Those... this is going to be interesting they lost to the Blackhawks burn the <laughs> fucking place down 
Sorry, I'm running through Micah's site at the moment because I want to see what the with or without you for McDavid is with Chris Russell. Okay, while you're doing that, I just want I I had pulled up a screen or way earlier. You had mentioned about we were talking about how veterans they won't make the mistake of overpaying ready players. Yeah. But I was. Focusing on their younger players, uh, looking at the roster. Barkov signed through 2022 at under $6 million. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Vincent Trocek, same year, all the way to 2022, under $5 million, 4.75. That's really good. Bugstad, I don't know, $4.1 million till 2021. I, I don't think it'll be, end up being bad value, put it that way. Huberdo, yeah. 5.9 until 2023. Yandel is the iffy one um, that they may have over. As I say, they, well, they won't sign veterans past <laughs> the Yandel contract. But um, that's, that's the test. That, 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 those sort of contracts are the ones that, for, for me, are either going to win or lose the advanced stats argument. The fr- it's the fringes that, that teams get destroyed on. Or I think they made that. I think they signed that contract knowing the back three years weren't going to be great, but we just lost so they Brian were, Campbell and holy cow. They had no choice. They got cornered by not being able to sign Campbell and considering that he went to Chicago for as little as he did, he, they were never going to keep him. So what do you do? You, you've got to try and fill that puck moving hole. But they got Ekblad for 7.5 million until 2024. That's just, that's good in my book. Yeah. So, yeah. McDavid, Russell? Yeah, whenever Russell's on the ice with McDavid, McDavid's, what about, this is how good McDavid is, though. He's about 54% course he adjusted. When McDavid doesn't have him, he sits around about 65 65 is absurd regardless. And and how yeah. is Russell away from Mr. McDavid? Uh, 40, 40 what? 49. I'm using, I'm using the, I'm using the spider chart with, with Micah's stuff. So you just sit there with it and you, you look at it and go, holy crap, man. Like he can drag anybody above 50. Who? The Connor? score adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. He's, He's ridiculous, and if Sid wasn't at the level he's at right now, I mean, Connor would be the the next guy up, I think. Yep. Yep. It's just, yeah, everything with McDavid with the number four, and it hovers at the lowest of everything that he does. I got, I got different numbers on that McDavid uh, Russell thing. And they don't pick Chris in a positive light. And that's and that's the problem. Like, and, and that's the thing. It's like, how much better could a player like McDavid be if he's not carrying around certain hockey players? It's the argument that everybody had with Sid as well. It's like, well, imagine if you had a winger who could score. Well, we got to see that. We had him with Hosa, and it was fantastic to watch. But Sid has been able to drag better production out of 
players like Dupuis. He scored more goals than I would have thought. Um, he's doing the same with um, with Connor Shearer at the moment as well. So it, it, it's one of those things where you, you, if you're going to put lesser skilled players with talent, you, you really hope that the lesser players produce a little bit more than you would expect. Thus, the you know generational talent that you have isn't wasted. And, and McDavid is certainly doing that with this Edmonton Oilers team. So I have stats.hockey analysis. Russell and McDavid together at 48.5. McDavid without Russell, 57.8. And Russell alone, 46.6. Yeah, so they're not winning because Russell's in the lineup. Is is the way I would look at that. No. I told you. I explained my thoughts on that earlier. So. Yeah. Well, it's another thing. I was watching the, the Buffalo Senators game, and Eric Carlson has the most shot blocks on the Ottawa Senators this year. So does that make him a bad defender, seeing as he can create so much offense? Like, for an old-style stat that all those anti-stats people rely on to say that this guy's a great defender, a stat that they rely on saying Chris Russell is good at being a defender. you got to play it to him, then. <laughs> that's my point. That is exactly my point. You have, you can't pick and choose your stats and say that's the whole story of a player. And it, when I heard that, watching that broadcast today, I went, holy smokes, and, and they still say that he can't defend. Yeah, it's crazy. Although I... I'd say Carlson's not off to the same start he was last year. Told you it was going to be the coach's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anything else on our little Florida topic? Um, No, I think I ranted enough. Uh, That was really what it came down to. (laughs) No, I think firing's fine. Management uh, should find somebody that aligns with them. Uh, I hope they did. They <laughs> took someone from management and put them on the bench. So I assume they're on the same page now. It, it is going to be interesting to see how that man. He actually has a coaching background more than a management one. So it will be interesting to see that because one of the things that you and I always said is that the players shouldn't be worried about the numbers and stuff. No, it not should at get all. funneled down to the coach to be able to say, this is what we have to do on the ice. Can you please just do it for me? We trust that this will work without getting into the numbers. You don't need to sit there and tell them, Hey, your course you for, or course you gains is good or bad. It's here is the process to improve getting more shot attempts on net and no, less I did, against. I did this just tonight when I was coaching my game earlier, um, I know we want more shot attempts, and I know that entries and all that lead to it. I don't talk to the players in that kind of language. I'm like, hey, instead of just throwing it and going to get it, why don't you pull up, wait a second, and then hit our our center man flying through the neutral zone? That's what the player needs to hear. Yeah, I know why I'm saying it, but you don't – well – we need more shot attempts, and <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. Who wants? To and that's going to be Rose. That's going to be Rose. Challenge is being that filter and getting that communication right. And no offense, but if you can do it to high schoolers, why the fuck can't an NHL coach do it to NHL players? We'll 
some coaches don't believe in it, I guess. Columbus? Yeah, well. No, I don't know. I mean, I do this. And I just also happen to coach as well. So I doing this so I, I know how dry and dull it can be at times. Of course I'm not oh, gonna yeah. talk like that on that level. Um but yes, I do believe in that concept and I think NHL teams should really work on maybe even hiring a liaison on how to communicate those. Uh, yeah, that that wouldn't be a bad idea in itself. I think the Pittsburgh like, Pirates did it. For yeah, that, for that baseball are, that somebody would, somebody would be there to kind of help the coach communicate what the coach wanted to in a way like they would be passing the the analytic information you know downhill but changing the language at each step to make it make sense for who was it was being delivered to and I thought that was a smart idea. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, um, Penguins. Yes. Where would you like to start? Um, they're fun to watch. Yeah. But if they're not going to win a Stanley Cup play like this right now. But that's okay because we're at what, game 23 or 24? Yeah, and they have two top six wingers out. And it's, it's really funny, you know, like I wasn't the biggest fan of the Patrick Hornquist signing, and I think it was mainly for the cost in regards to, and we've discussed this, the fact that they didn't get a draft pick and they went with, with Nick Spalling to, to come back. So to me that was a negative that, that came back the other way. But he has missed severely in regards to blocking a goaltender's eyes when this team is shooting towards the net, and they are missing out on a lot of rebound opportunities because the goalie can, can can control the puck. And that takes away from one of Sid's greatest skill sets, which is the ability to read a rebound and put the puck back in. Yeah, not well, not only Hornquist being out, but Chris Kunitz, who's Kunitz. still playing good oh, yeah. hockey. Um, man, it's amazing the amount of shit I see written about Chris Kunitz online. It makes no sense. It's only because, it's because his counting stats are down. That that's the reality of it, and this is where those this is where using these numbers should help management not get rid of players that are, are useful and, and, and not overpaying for. There's no way Nick Foligno is worth what he got paid for on a high shooting percentage, right? Chris Kunitz's shooting percentage is through the floor, but he contributes so much to the team's success. He's a 54% possession player this year, and if you just give me a second. His, oh, his points, do that his points per sixty is 2.15. It's top level. Fifty-four percent possession player, 2.15 points per sixty. I'm supposed to pretend he's not good. Yeah, I know. I know. He's got nine points at even strength in 18 games. That's a point five point per game at even strength. That's pretty good. People that play the power play all the time don't even get that and that doesn't include Kunitz on the power play this year no that's a good point it's he's I remember you saying it 
it's not going to be his hands, it'll be his legs that go first. Yeah, and then wrong. we spoke <laughs> last season about how surprising it was that he can't buy a goal, but he's doing everything else that you, you want him to do. If he's not scoring, he's doing as much as he possibly can to help contribute to the team, and still is. I am concerned what's going to happen, because this is his last year of his current deal. I, oh, am concerned. I, would, I would sign him again. Yes, but for how long? That's where I get worried. I wouldn't. My high end would two more years at three mil. Yeah, I would. That's that's the sort of feeling I had with it as well. But you know what Rutherford's like? He's likely to do a three a, a three point five or a four by three years, and, and no, that's where. You... No, that no, I, I don't see that. I just hope. No, that... I don't see it. I hope Mr. Ventura manages to make sure that they no. don't do something like that. I that that would really surprise me. He's coming back. So people that don't like him got bad news for you. There's no chance oh. Kunitz is going to chase an extra mill at this point to go play somewhere else. Not to play somewhere shitty. No, I totally agree. I think giving him 2.75 mil, I would give him I would Ask him, hey, can but we, can we start to do some one-year deals here? Uh, that would come down to the player, to be perfectly honest, because no, we've no, got a lot of... No, no, I would in. ask. I, can, we, can we do the one-year deal thing? Oh, I see what you mean. I, I'll give you $3.8 again next year, but it's only going to be for one year. That'd be two one-year deals, and a lockout would pop up, wouldn't it? What year's the lockout happening? 2021? I think it would be 20, oh, I don't know. And by then, yeah, I don't think you'd want to sign him. No. And, yeah. So, it's you, you're right in, in the context of, of Kunitz is he's doing all the things you want to do. He's just not scoring as frequently as he used to. Um, and they have dropped him off the, the top line away from Sid. And, um, and put him with Gino. Man, yeah, what a punishment. I know. Um, he's always played well with both of them. Remember when yeah, Sid has. was out with his concussion, that that Malkin Neil Kunitz line was unreal. Yeah, they were monsters. So, um, I think there will be a big bonus when Pittsburgh gets Kunitz back, and then Hornquist as well. They got so good forward where you, depth. Where do you play Gensel? I keep him in the top six. So do I. I don't care which wing Kunitz or Gensel plays with. I don't care. Interchange them all you want. So does that mean Konishiri gets bumped? Yes. That was my theory too. Gensel's just got more natural skill. You can see it. it, it he's Oh yeah. He's, he's Yeah. He's ahead of those other guys. And those other guys did admirable job in the playoff run. So I'm very excited for Gensel. Um a point, a point per game, three goals in four games. Is that still the case? I think so. And scoring your first goal and your first shot. Oh, was it on Hank? Um, no. It was a very Ranta. nice. Oh, it was on Ranta, wasn't it? Um, still pretty good. Puts him in pretty illustrious company in the Mario. club history. So <laughs> First shift, first shot, first goal. <laughs> and then he scored another one. Mario didn't do that. No. That, that's... That fucking bum. (laughs) (laughs) 
But you are you are right about the the depth on this team, and I know you, you've written a couple of times about this. But Eric Fair is the one guy that you need to move. Like they've got too many forwards at the moment, and if you could use Eric Fair to acquire a defenseman to just fill out that top four, I they're a defense. Well, they're, okay, I I don't think you're gonna get a quality no, defenseman back for him that I would want to add to the roster. I would just take a draft pick at this point and say thanks. I'll take the two million in cap space. But that for for me, that's what this roster needs. Now, if it you have another... a bigger trade where he's the other team somehow values him and he's the the kind of additional throw-in, yeah, sure. But I wouldn't look to trade fair for a defenseman because do I really want the defenseman that's coming back the other way? Like, who's that defenseman do, replacing? Because Schultz and Cole are doing well right now. You, you do if, if Calgary are dumb enough to trade Dougie Hamilton. Well, that's not going to be straight up for Eric Fair. No, I know that. But like you said, the throwing part of a, a larger deal or something like that. And, I yeah, so that you are right. Eric Fair is not the main component of a deal to get you a top four Unless defenseman. Unless you're but, dumping him for a draft pick. Yeah. Which... I'm at that point. I have no reservations about admitting to I thought that it was a good signing for them. And my opinion hasn't changed on that because at the time of that signing, that bottom six was... Atrocious. Just, it was a... Tire fire. Offended to look at that. <laughs> it was just such a mismanaged like it now that they've won the cup it's easier to kind of stomach it a little bit but i'm thinking god damn it you are wasting crosby and malkin because you just can't do something as easy as evaluating bottom six forwards at all so eric fair was coming off a 1.56 uh, points per 60 at even strength and a positive possession player in Washington, sure, two million a year for three years. I'm down with that. So process wise, I'm totally with the Penguins on that one. Did it work out? Not this time. Now, don't get me wrong. Fair had a sweet goal against Washington that won him a huge game. Scored against the Sharks, or was it Tampa or the Sharks? Can't remember. He now. had a big goal in one of those later series too. And yeah. Totally want to give him credit for that. Those were big moments and, and good job. But that's Antoine Vermette stuff. Thank you. Um, I was I was actually going to use that as an example. Yeah, you give a guy that enough ice time, and you know they're NHL guys. They're, they'll make a few plays here and there. Um, I just think now with the emergence of some of these uh, Wilkes. Barry Penguin players, Gensel and Sherry Rust, uh, Will, even Wilson Kuhnhackel. There's a lot back of, on the odds. There's a lot of um, cheaper options there, and I don't think there's really any drop-off on any of them. No, and I mean, it's one of those things, like you've still got Sprong's back on the ice, which is good. You've got Sunquist, who theoretically should be replacing Cullen when he does decide to hang up. Maybe. So the, I'm not, the only issue, I'm I, not high on the that, only issue but... I would have with moving fair is 
injury. This team is injury prone. Um, you you still got an extra the, forward that's going to be Scott Wilson or Tom Kuhnhackel. And then yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm good there. You're confident with that, and that makes that makes fairly good sense. That would be the only reason I could think of the the management staff going. Oh, let's not attempt to do something. But like you said, you need somebody who's willing to take him on. Um, and I then, think I think there's always a market for a player like him in the in this um, environment still. No, for the Penguins' sake, I hope you're right. Look, to no, be honest, I some, actually somebody think will want want him. The help for the Penguins on D, I think, comes from within. I think it's bringing Pouliot up and giving him a crack at 20 games, and he either sinks or swims. Keep him out there, keep throwing him out there if he makes a mistake, and find out whether he can move the puck. Yeah, but who are they going to sit for that whole time? I have no idea. Schultz and Cole have been fine. They have, and, and, and all credit to them for playing their role very well. So who sits? I, I don't know. I don't know either. Break someone's ankle. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just saying it was very unfortunate for him to have got injured when he did, um, but he's the kind of dynamic puck mover that can play in the top four that I, I think that I think that they need to to change the way that when they get trapped in their own zone they really get trapped in their own zone because they can't they can't beat a cycle on a on a puck down low they they really struggle with that unless the team's out there on the ice so they they need an improvement there somewhere. Um, I don't think it helps that Benino is going through an extremely dry patch either. So this is definitely not the same team that played last year clicking-wise at the moment. But like I said, we're a quarter of the way through the year and it shouldn't be too much of a problem. No, I think Gensel's emergence makes them really um, dangerous because if you're willing to bump fair out, you're talking about a fourth line that has a Kunhaka Wilson left wing option with Cullen centering and a Russ Sheary right wing option. So basically, depending on how you slot things, the, that I, I wrote an article today. That, the slowest scatter in that whole lineup might be. Honest. Yeah. I mean, he's not and slow. No. He's not but fast, it, but he's, he's he gets fine. Carried, and he, gets, he gets carried by Sid anyway, so that's covered off. It's not like you've got a fourth line that it's going to get scattered around in circles due to the lack of speed. So you know, and the slowest <laughs> scatter on the defensive corpses is, is Oli Mata. Holy! Now, are you pro HBK, or would you like to see them? do something else because i did two lineups today one with one without i would like to see them stay away from that until it becomes perfectly clear that they have to go back to that because they need third line production all right so (laughs) here's what i got for non-hbk gensel with crosby and hornquist kunitz malkin kessel which was a line when they broke it up yeah haglin benino you get to choose on any given night, Sherry or Rust. And then Cullen can center uh, the Sherry or Rust leftover. 
yeah. quote-unquote left over. I mean, they both played <laughs> top six, and now I'm talking about them on a fourth line. And then Kuhnhockel or Wilson on any given night, what, what do you want there? To be honest, um, I'm but, a big but fan is that structured? Of yeah, okay, it's structured. Or... It's structured fine. I, I think we're. I think the reason Benino struggles when it's he's away from the the HBK lineup is that as fast as as Rust is and as skillful as as, as Haglund is, they don't see the ice as as well as what Kessel does, and Kessel creates so much space because of his shot that it creates holes for Benino to, to skate into. Maybe like, Sherry's the guy. And, and I still stand by that. They don't quite see the ice the same as Kessel. And, and well, I, I mean, you're whether, talking about I know. a that's pretty, why that's kind pretty of, great forward it's, there. It's kind, of, it's kind of my point. It, it's like you can't replace Kessel on any line. He has a particular skill set that is very unique to him. Um, and here's one of the reasons why that line carried so well through through the year. Even when they were the second line, they carried that team through when, when Gino was out. So you, you sit there and go, because Benino's contract comes up at the end of this year, how much of Benino's production is going to be tied to his efforts I would, with... I would consider moving on if the price point's not where I need that, it to be. It, Exactly, and once again, it comes down to that sense of mentality. If they go through and they do really well again, even if they don't win the whole thing, but get to the conference finals or or something like that, that's where I get that's where I get worried with a general manager like Rutherford. Um, well, here's here's a little peek into my long term thought on this. Gensel's a center. Oh no, and that's yes, I agree. I, I, I might. Make it an HGK line <laughs> moving forward and save that money. No offense to Benino. I thought he was tremendous last year. Um, not off to a great start, but I, I love um, his hands and his um, hockey IQ. I really do. And I, he's off to a bad start this year, but he's a good player. Because it's not it's not just his shooting percentage that's down. It's he's. he's... His Corsi four is yeah, down. Been, he, he's, is been, down. he's been bad this year, but he's he's I appreciate his strengths, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you're exactly right. And the strengths that he have are fantastic, but it's not like he, he's in a Kunitz situation where he's he's you know his counting stats are down, um, and, and Kunitz is still pro- producing other areas. But then I was getting trapped in his own zone and. Not being able to get even out with and HBK, and that is problematic because that's yeah. Come on, Nick, that's the best line you're getting on this team as far as wingers because yeah. you could argue those are two of the best wingers they have to offer. Well, Castle well, for sure, Haglin on any, you know, is he on a hot streak, cold streak, whatever. But yeah, he, Kessel. Does, the thing that's funny with Haglin is I can see why New York Rangers fans he drove them nuts. I kind of get it. He does so many things well and, and then just seems to vanish on the score sheet, like just disappears. Um, but if you pay attention to the to the underlying numbers, he still contributes. So I can see why he drove Rangers head nuts. I just saw a Jager stat. Yeah. He skated in his 1,652nd career game. 
tonight? Jesus. He'd be right behind Chelios or something, wouldn't he? Ha! That's the stat. He passed Chelios tonight. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and tying Mark Recchi for fourth. Who's the, who played the most? Probably Gordy. Oh, you're not going to catch that, because isn't it something in the 2000s? <laughs> Probably. Gordy oh, played... I, I know he spent some time in the WHL, but he played till he was 52. Yeah. yeah. As good as Jagger is. I think he scored like 20 goals. Just like, like, he was still producing. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um... I, I give you and I credit. We've discussed all this and haven't discussed the, the netminder problem, so well done us. All right, here we go. <laughs> I think we both agree he needs to go. Yeah, but that's not <coughs> a unique opinion to me. I've, I was fine rolling with Thomas Grice a few years back based on Listen. the cost savings. That was only two years ago. <laughs> I'm just saying. I agree. No, no, I know what you're saying. And everyone knows I've been a Fleury fan the entire time he's been around, um, but it is perfectly obvious he is not comfortable playing the role that he now has to play because he is now the backup. And it's funny how a lot of people said the team doesn't play as well in front of Fleury. It's not that. It's that Murray is so calm in net. He covers up for mistakes that the team makes and just doesn't look like it bothers him, whereas Fleury looks like he's all over the place. Did you well, post the stylistic that danger? Did you? Yeah, it is, no, it really is. It, it is stylistic. But did you? Was it you that posted the stat about his high danger percentage versus Murray's? Um, was that Jesse Marshall? Well, Jesse certainly did. Um, yeah, I, I probably borrowed his stats. I did a Flurry thing. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. It wasn't I that think long it's a ago. Five, I can't. It's remember. a five percent. It's a five percent or six percent drop off between both of them on their high danger chances. And Fleury's substantially lower than what he has been over the last two years. Alright, let's see here. So if you if you look at it in that context, no, I Fleury took Jesse's work um, yeah. on the high dangers it, like he's right. They're they're fairly similar. But then I went into the whole thing on how shot volume against is similar to scoring chances and it was similar for both goalies. Yeah, so. and so if Fleury's is 5% lower than Murray's, there's the difference in, in the output you're getting from each goalie and also the results. Like, there have been games that... That 6-2 blowout of... Was it a 6-1 blowout of the Rangers, right? Penguins got absolutely dominated in the first period and Murray kept them in that game to allow them to do what they did against the Rangers. Um, whereas the game before, Fleury couldn't do it. Yeah, but Fleury has done it. I mean, that's the yes, ebb and has. flow of goaltending. But Bingo. No, but people, you get so caught up and like, that's where kind of the goaltending analysis flies off the rails because it's like, oh, yeah. well, you see, he kept him in in the first period of that. Well, yeah, every goalie goes through those cycles where they have done that. So that's why you got to lean on the overall numbers, specifically – high danger save percentage is what separates most of them. And you look at that because the worst goalie in the NHL is going to have a period where he keeps you in the game. People get so caught up and treat it like Flurry doing that a few times is unique. And it's not. No, it's, 
Exactly. It happens on every single team in the league. That's not a unique thing. Um. So yeah, I. I you, God damn you! May the way we position ourselves on this, you make me sound like such a a flurry hater. And he's I mean, been just, slightly above average that. for his career. And this that's is not the thing, They've just they've to be honest, they've locked into um an at least above average goalie in Murray. And that's that's I think his floor at the moment. You reckon you've seen enough of the sample size to back him to be the number one goalie and that you're not the only person. I, that's yeah, I, I thought that, that before the summer. No, exactly. No, no, no. I, you, like you said, his pro career is is pointing in in that direction. And I mean, you look at at Tampa with with Bishop and, and Vasilevsky, they'll go to the young kid uh, after this year with with Bishop yeah, moving that, on. Yeah, that, that's that. I think that's pretty clear. You're right. Yeah, and so you know, everyone gives Stevie Eisman credit for being a good analysis, uh, a good analyst of talent. Well, this is the situation Pittsburgh's in. Like, they're in the exact same spot. It's just that Fleury has two more years left on a deal that is overpaying him, and it was a deal that didn't have to be signed. And that's Furthermore, where, it certainly didn't need a no-movement clause. Bingo. And and that's where, before Rutherford jumped on board, paying a little bit more attention to some numbers, um, that's where he's ha- hamstring himself. Like, that's a lot of money in a guy right now that's Really? You that, couldn't give Fleury four times 5.75? Without a no movement clause, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have taken that because there are teams out there that definitely need somebody with his skill set, and it's really hard to ship him off to some of those teams because it's a fifteen. It's a fifteen team no trade. I think I'm is not what worried he's got. about his no trade at this point. I think he's, he'll want to go. He's he sees the writing on the wall. There's he does. Come on. Hey, it sucks balls. Because I really wanted him to retire as a penguin in that. Well, I feel happen. the empathy part of it for him because I know how much he loves being a Pittsburgh Penguin, and, and yep. as a fan of the team, that's that's great. That's kind of you know in a what perfect world, that's what you want all the players to feel like. So on that front, and family and all that stuff, it's like not rooting for me to have his life uprooted and you know that kind of stuff. You know, that sucks. That that's when you the management of the team, you can't take that into account. But my position in this NHL world is, is to be an analyst and, and focus just on the hockey part of it. So I can't like I don't when I do my analysis I'm not taking that into consideration, even though I know it truly exists. Oh, I know. Do, when okay, so if you're if you're a general manager and you know that he's absolutely loved in the room, right? You you just you can't take that into account, can you? Like if there's a deal to be pulled, you've just got to pull it, don't you? You can't go, no, I'm not going to do this because it's going to cause massive friction in the in the locker room. No, surely. And and who's going to cause a friction with Sid, uh, Latang, those guys, and yeah. That's they'll hate losing their friend, but at the same time, those guys are gonna keep being top end hockey truck. players. They're they they're will they will move on, and they will do so because they're top end professionals, right? So, so I'm, 
Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm tapped out for reasons not to trading. Now it just comes down to finding a trade partner that will take on that contract. And that's not easy because they should have done that in the off-season. Well, who knows? I don't know how much interest they got. Who They may have been asking for too much. But something's got to give. Okay, even eliminating the whole expansion draft part of this, yep. I'd be looking to move them anyways. Yeah, there's too much money tied up in a position that he's superfluous. Excuse me, he's superfluous for now. That money could be put into other parts of the roster. Yeah. Well, Rutherford even admitted... Yeah, he said that before the podcast, yeah. Having two top goalies hasn't worked as well as I thought. (laughs) Well, I mean, there are plenty of splits that have worked. The old... uh, Combo in St. Louis, Elliot, and whoever the other guy was at the time. <laughs> it was Allen for a time. Who was before that? Halak. Halak, yeah. And Halak's so, trying to do it now in New York. <laughs> well, he's got a three-way uh, thing going on. and I... Nobody's ever, Nobody has ever told me that a three-way is a bad thing. This is the first time I've heard it. Well, all right, touche. <laughs> Sorry. No, I I don't know what they do with Flurry though. I mean, what's the goalie market? At the moment, there isn't one, and you you try and work out where you could where you could send him to, and I, I'm just trying to look at it purely from a team that's lacking goaltending at the moment. And you go, well, you can't send him to Dallas. They've already got two that they've overpaid for. We'd have to take one of them back, and that defeats the purpose. Sent him to Calgary, but they already committed to, to Elliott. Uh, Anaheim, rightly or wrongly, have committed to Gibson. Um, Maybe Carolina, I guess. They, 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 oh, I have no idea why they went with Ward. Um, but, yeah, that, that that's probably one, one option there. Um, you, you start to run out of options real quick, so the market's really small. And it's not like they need a bidding war. They just need somebody to want him. Yeah. It's a tough market pegging that goalie market. Because, you know, it looks as though Winnipeg of of Halibuck's sorted himself out a little bit better there. So it looks like he's going to stabilize the situation they had in there. there. Um, Chicago obviously don't need anyone. St. Lewis is committed to, to Allen as well. Um, you got Dallas, Phoenix. They're not going to touch their goaltending situation because they're playing Tank Central again. Um, there just, just aren't options out there. Maybe if Brian Elliott continues to not play well, Calgary can come back. What's Elliott's, what's Elliott's contract? What's his term? He's up. The term? He's up. I thought they signed him. I thought they re-signed him. It was a part of the trade. Nah, he's a UFA. Okay. 
I'd just do a straight swap if that was the case there. Um, yeah, you're Michael, right. I want Michael for a leak. I know you do. <laughs> That's what I want. That was my off-season trade. If Calgary get close enough... Imagine Michael they... Froelich with Malkin, you leave Hornquist with Sid, and Kessel plays with on HBK. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> they could have had it too, you know. Like that was. I don't know if they could have had it. I don't know what Calgary values Flurry versus Froelich. That's what I would have. I would have poked the bear with that one. It's Froelich. That was same money. It's pretty much. No, no, so not say money. Million and seven, four point three versus five point seven five. It's it's one of those things where it's like the cap hit. So four point three, two point five. He's good. If you so this is the thing. If you did if you did Frolic for Fair and Elliot and and Fleury, like those four players, that's Ooh. that cap balances out basically. Ah, I would do that in a heartbeat. I know. I know we would. Um. And, and I say this unfairly, but seeing as Calgary are apparently more than happy to shop fucking Dougie Hamilton around at the moment. Um, are we going to do a modern chan- uh, Hamilton swap on this as well? Mega blockbuster? We, we... I was going to say, how big does this trade suddenly become? <laughs> All right, so what do we got so far? How's Eric Fair fit into this? <laughs> Where's Eric Fair fit into this? He's going the other way too. Yeah, it would be it would be Frolic, Hamilton, Flurry, Hamilton, Mata, Elliot, Flurry. <laughs> no, Flurry for Frolic, Elliot, and um, you know what? You want Tom Kuhnhackel? Go get him. There you but go. That's, the thing that sucks with that is that just. That's a big that volume, trade. that volume of players <laughs> never gets moved anymore. Is, is, is more what I mean. It's, it's like you get the blockbuster trade. Like you do have the Hall for Larson and the, you know, the Subban for Weber stuff. But then they're like one for one deals. You you don't see roster like a lot of roster players moving like you used to. I mean, Pittsburgh did that a couple of times um, back in the day. Uh, particularly with one of their cup runs, they they traded away three or four players for a couple coming back. So. It would be awesome to see something like that happen, but, you know, that won't happen. Man, that would be cool. It's, it's really funny. I, I feel like there are times where, as a fan base, we're overcritical of Marta because of his really, really good rookie season, right? And that was driven because he got to play with Mac Niskanen. Um, I feel like there's more value outside of the Pittsburgh market on Marta than I think we might give him credit for at times. So a Marta for Hamilton trade wouldn't be impossible because the cap hit is cheaper for Marta than it is for Hamilton in the contract. And I don't think Calgary looks upon Marta significantly lower than Hamilton. No, and well, I think that they're that low on Hamilton that they probably look at them as equals, and I don't believe they are. I think Dougie Hamilton's a better defender than than Martin. Sorry, better. Yeah, and he's a right-handed right defenseman, and he skates a little bit better, so he fits what Pittsburgh do a little bit better. Well, shit. 
Let's do it. Why can't we? Why can't we do this? Why can't we run this? <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it to Calgary. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Oh god, Calgary should be just laughing in our face. Let's be honest. <laughs> just so the listeners are clear, we know. Yeah. Just having it's, fun. It's, it's, I just, I just don't trust that that management staff not to give Dougie Hamilton away for less than he's worth. That's all. I really don't. No, but outside of uh, Calgary, Carolina, Dallas, I, I don't see the flurry market. And I'm not talking no. even in season. I'm talking even after the season. Yep. So I don't know how they're going. And I know you were saying this uh, without bring it into play, but how do you come up with a solution for the for the fantasy draft that will be coming along? I'm not worried in the sense that Pittsburgh's going to lose Murray. I think Murray's going to be on the team next year. I'm worried at what that's going to cost. Yeah, that's that's Maybe they don't that. trade Flurry because there's no market. I think they will try. But what's the trade with Las Vegas going to cost to not take Murray if Fleury's on the roster? If I was Las Vegas, I'd be saying a number one draft pick. Thank you very much. Or we'll take it. Boy, that would uh, that would just that'd be a tough pill to swallow. I don't think uh, it's going to get to that point, though. hope you're right. I really hope you're right. And I'm totally disregarding Fleury's no-trade clause because I think at this point he's going to waive it. I think you're right there, yeah. I don't think he's going to want to stick around. The writing is on the wall. Matt Murray is the future. Matt Murray is playing better. Matt Murray's sample size continues to grow at an impressive rate. So, you know. It's got to happen. It does. Salary savings alone are worth it for me. I, I, I totally agree. And you, you got me onto this uh, very early when it became, you know, when the questions started coming up about what to do with him. And this was before Murray came along, was why put so much money into that position? Why not put it into the position's in front of the goalie and just get league average goaltending and then you should be able to win with that. Yep. Anything else on no. this roster? No, I think we're I think we're good. It's nice to do a quarter pole wrap up of the team. <laughs> yeah, the only thing um I don't think we covered on is um just Sid and Gino. They're great. <laughs> you know what's really funny? I watched that Devils game and I didn't think Gino was particularly fantastic. And he came away with three assists. I didn't think That's he... Gino in a nutshell, though. He's He plays some great games that he doesn't get tangible rewards. No, I know, but I, I sort of sit there and I, I try to think about it and I'm like, you know, what was his... I'm just going through the... Uh through Micah's stuff now. No, but he created the, was it the Gensel goal? He made the play at the blue line on an entry and left the puck into space for yeah. a guy to swoop in. Or yeah. am I no, misremembering no, it, that? I, I, I sit there and I look at it and, and 
just didn't feel like he really did all that much. I don't think he actually should have gotten assist on that on that Crosby game on the game time goal, but he forced he forced all that to happen from his his, his curl and, and wrist shot into the crowd. So he he did do stuff more than I thought. I think I'm used to seeing him do a lot at the moment and get no reward for it, like he was saying. So love Gino. Oh, we know that. I do too. That, that's not sort of the argument. It was just it was one of those weird ones. Where whereas Sid just you just seem to see Sid do stuff all the time at the moment and everything's going in. So he's constantly in your face with, with his brilliance. Sid down low. Pumping goals in. That's been the argument for a while, hasn't it? I love it. Love seeing <laughs> that he's there and he's scoring goals at um the best rate, if not uh it's 2010-11 before the concussion. Yeah. But this is, he's going off, and it's its awesome to see. No, it is good to, it feels like this is the last hurrah of that excellence, if you know what I mean. Nah. No. What about his goals being down low, can't he do for a few more years? No, you, you, you're right in, in that aspect. I just... He's never been, like, a long-distance shooter. No, you're right. He's, he's distance per um, per shot average isn't... It's under 18 feet or something, I think. So, um, he can certainly... Yeah, you're right. He does... the With the way he produces and where he produces from, it's certainly repeatable. I'll, I'll give if you they, that. If it's they tough. keep him off the damn half wall on the power play, let Malkin do it, and um, get him on those tips and puck retrievals, he'll get 12 to 14 power play goals a year, let alone that's when a, he gets at even strength. That's a him problem. That's him forcing that because he gets it down on the goal Well, line there are situations out. where you should switch him and Malkin, and Malkin goes low. Because that's player movement, and I will always endorse that. But for years, that that is not why Sid was on the half wall. Sid was on the half wall because he was he wanted it. He was but, Sid, yeah. But I don't think that's maximized um, best on the on a Penguins power play that can put Malkin on the half wall. And there's no real drop off in half wall play there. The the thing for me is that they've gone over for a couple of games now, and cause. And people are pointing to the fact that Kunitz and, and um, Hornquist are missing from that power play. But for me, it is exactly what you just said. They've, they've got general movement, which is what you want, but Sid's staying on the half wall and not moving back to the goal line, which whenever they used, when they were killing it at the start of the year, Sid would move up onto that half wall, Juno would rotate, and then they'd piss off back to their original spots, which is once the puck moved, Sid would go back down to the goal line, Juno would come back up high, and that would give Latang either Kessel to go to or Gino to go to on the half walls on each side of the ice. And, and they're not making that rotation around anymore. And it's as, as much as not having Hallquist and Kunitz to, to screen the goalie is an issue, that lack of movement uh, after the puck has moved is, is, I think, killing their power play at the moment. They'll go back to it. I'm not worried about it. I oh, you're shooting it them. It's not. Um, 
I guess something I just remembered last last but not least. Did you see the Penguins documentary that was just released? No, I have not seen this documentary yet. Apparently, from all I've read, is that it's very enjoyable to watch. It is outrageously good. <laughs> I mean, it's long, but, I mean, you go through the whole Mario 80s, every detail, and then... Paul Coffey comes and you start seeing the building of the Stanley Cup years. And then you go through the Mario Hodgkins season, which for my money, biased or not, I don't even care if I'm biased. I think there's objectivity to it as well. That is the best NHL season any player has ever put up in the history of the league. Because Mario pre- Radiation was on pace to break Wayne's single season record. And I think he would have. And then he comes back from cancer the day of, puts in a goal, and then chases down LaFontaine. <laughs> That's pretty special. That's After radiation, he put up 50-something points. And radiation came in the second half of the season. So you put that into context. I'll have to get my hands on it. Where can I get my hands on it? I think you can get it from the Penguins website. Oh, cool. They they break it up into part one, two, three, four, five, if I'm not mistaken. Part one is all pre-Mario, how the team got started and everything. That was very good. Um, but then it bleeds into the... Sengino years and the and the lottery and and all that, it was it was really well done. I think um, Penguin fans that listen to this, probably most of them, you've probably already seen it. But even if <laughs> uh, even as a non-Penguin fan, <laughs> the way they have it broken up into different parts on the website, you can start with part two if you want early Mario, part three if you want Stanley Cup Mario. Uh, and then there's a whole section on Mario's comeback, which, by the way, holy shit. Mario's comeback years, he's still got a higher points per game average than any active player right now. <laughs> so the guy came back in his late 30s in the trap era and said, fuck y'all, I'm scoring all these goals and points. So <laughs> that, was the, that was the Toronto game he came back in, didn't he? And he scored on his oh, first shift. three points. I will never forget it. I actually saw, believe it or not, for somebody that was living in but I saw that game live. We actually had ESPN at home, and they played that live. Yeah? It, I was at like my I, friend's house, um, and it was um, first year of college. We were, uh, his dad was making us Manhattans. <laughs> 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 and um, I just remember us high-fiving and, it was great, and and the best part was my friend because it was Christmas time. It was two days after Christmas. I think he made his debut, and the friends who whose house I was at at their parents' house, he was actually going to school in Pittsburgh. So oh, after cool. the comeback, I had a place to stay, and um, we ended up going to a few games. One was uh, get this. I went to a game in the trap era against the Devils, that the Penguins got down 3 nothing and won. <laughs> wow. 
Kovalev had a hat trick. He scored in overtime. Oh, Kovalev. Jeez, that was a good team. Yeah, that was the conference final year team. Was that the Clutch and Grab and Dragon Mall of um, yeah. Florida Panthers? No, that was 96. That this was, was 01. Oh, yeah, it was too. Naughty me. Bad memory. Uh, but it was uh, Lemieux Yager Stevens was the line. My NHL 94 go-to. And then, <laughs> and then Kovalev, Kovalev, uh, Lance Stracker. Yeah. Casparitis um, was on the team. It was it was really a lot of fun. Uh, the Hockey Heads logo. <laughs> right? Yep. Darius. That wasn't a biased choice or nothing. Uh, no. <laughs> um, all right, so we've tried to wrap this up three times, and we've failed desperately each time. Um, yeah. Hopefully next week we're back on a more regular schedule and we can we can get these not to be quite so long because we'll do them more often. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So thanks for dealing with um, that change. We weren't as... Um, didn't have a regular schedule going. No, naughty us. So, um, hockeyhurts.com. I don't think I've asked you listeners to rate us on iTunes in a while, so if you're on an Apple device, you can do that. Uh, Patreon.com slash hockeyhurts if you want to donate to the podcast. At Walshy66, at hockey underscore hurts, at Gunnerstall, hockeybuzz.com for my Pittsburgh articles. So I think that covers it. Thank you very much, guys. Um, we hope to do this uh, in the near future again. So see ya. See ya.